everyone, my name is Michelle, and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, my husband Frank is back, and we're talking about the movie The American President. Hi, Frank. Hey, glad to be back. I'm excited, especially excited to talk to you about this movie. So a few things before we dive in. It was released in November of 1995. It's directed by Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorkin. It stars Michael Douglas, Annette Bening, Martin Sheen, and Michael J. Fox. The IMDb.com summary is, a widowed U.S. president running for re-election and an environmental lobbyist fall in love. It's all above board, but politics is perception, and sparks fly anyway. It has a 6.8 on IMDb, it grossed more than $107 million at the box office, and it was nominated for one Academy Award in 96 for Best Music, original score, for Mark Shaman. And it was also nominated for a number of Golden Globe Awards. I don't think it won any of them for Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, Best Actress. And I have one final note, is that in 2002, the AFI, the American Film Institute, ranked this movie as number 75 on its list of top 100 America's greatest love stories ever. I don't know what that means, because I don't know... If there are a hundred great American love stories in film to begin with. I'm sure there are. I did take a glance at it. Other movies were like Casablanca, Annie Hall. I mean, I'm not the... It's a classic, quote, classic list. Fair enough. But I guess the AFI deemed this to be worthy to be included on that list. I mean, it's something. Okay. What are you rating this movie on a scale from one to ten? I'm going to give it a seven. Okay. And upon hearing that the IMDb rating was actually a 6.8... I'm not sure if I actually want to revise that to be above the average, but I'm going to stick with what I got because I have reasons, but it is interesting to see that the current rating is a 6.8. In my opinion, it's criminally low on IMDb. I'm giving this movie an 8.5 to a 9. Wow. Yes, I know. I think this conversation could be interesting. We'll see. So... One of the questions I usually ask is, why did you choose this film to talk about and what's your relationship with it? Mm -hmm. This is my choice. That is correct. I have plans for this to be the final episode of my season three of Rom-Com Weekly, and I'm choosing to end on a high note for me. I love this movie, and I've been pushing for us to talk about this for a long time, and thank you for finally agreeing to talk about it with me. I have a deep affection for it, obviously. I'll try not to be a wet blanket today. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, so what is your relationship with this movie? I saw this movie many years ago, didn't think anything of it, and then at some point in our relationship, you told me how important it was to you, and then we watched it together, and then I was like, oh, it's a, you know, inspirational movie, Mm -hmm. Um, but also didn't really have a relationship directly with it myself, and only rewatch it when, uh, when it comes on, when you put it on the TV, so it doesn't hold a special place in my heart. Side note, this movie is not streaming on any of the services that we subscribe to. I do have the DVD, and we popped it in, and it's definitely 1995 quality of a DVD. Yeah, we were unable to figure out how to get it to show full screen on our TV, which was extremely frustrating. Yeah, you were you were very, very frustrated. But, okay, let me, let me explain to you my relationship with this movie. So this movie came out in 1995. I distinctly remember renting this movie at Blockbuster, I was a preteen at this point, and I could not tell you why this movie resonated with me as like 11 or 12 year old. And I was trying to reflect on this. And I think what I came up with is that when I was younger, 
all I wanted to do was be an adult. I just wanted to be taken seriously. I wanted to grow up as fast as possible. When you're that age, there are a certain amount of certain movies that you're not allowed to see mm-hmm. slash movies that my parents wouldn't let me see. So this movie was safe and I just took to it. I think this made me want to become an adult even more and made me feel adult because it's about adults and doing adult things. Okay. I kind of see where you're going with that. <laughs> but it is strange because it's so heavily in this like DC political world. What does an 11 or 12 year old know about that? I didn't know anything. Did you know what the GDC was at 11? I did not. But these are probably the first times I heard, you know, the concept of global warming and climate change and all that stuff. But this is a highly rewatched film for me. Um, I'll say right now is that I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you are a big Aaron Sorkin fan? I think Aaron Sorkin does a great job of whatever it is that he does. But he's polarizing because it, It really depends on your mood. Mm -hmm. I think if you are a viewer that is in the mood for something uplifting, fast-paced, snappy, witty, Sorkin's going to be great. If you're in a cynical mood, if you're in a... And you just don't quite have the energy for for something like that, it's going to grate on you in a different Mm. way. So I think my relationship with Sorkin, having watched a number of his movies and also watch the entirety of The West Wing, and also probably watch it multiple times since you have it on the background mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> I I think it's really dependent on mood. Got it. I can see that being true. I don't feel like that's how it is for me. Uh, I think when I'm in a bad mood, I actually like watching The West Wing and, and Aaron Sorkin written stuff because, yes, he is polarizing, or his material might be polarizing, but it gives me this sense of idealism. That's fair. That's fair. Let's go straight into what are some things you like about this movie. Yeah, I I think the Annette Benning and Michael Douglas Spark carries it through for me. Mm-hmm. Separate from the material itself, those two on screen. I'm not someone who talks about Spark and chemistry. Mm-hmm. Like any other time I've been on this podcast, I'm like, I have no idea what chemistry actually means. But I felt it in this movie. And it really pulled me in and kept me engaged. So it was a weird combination of the writing, directing, very Sorkin-esque, the power dynamic between the two characters, and then just the presence that both the main characters had on screen. I think that was that's the reason why I would even think of giving it a seven. Because when I was coming into the movie, I was not in an optimistic state. <laughs> But that that romance really just made it worth it for me. Mm -hmm. A thousand percent. Great chemistry. They're so good together. I love the push and pull of their relationship in the beginning. And they're just so believable. Annette Bening as Sidney Ellen Wade just plays this flustered, really, I don't know what adjectives to describe her as that aren't condescending or demeaning. Like she plays this very strong powerhouse of a DC lobbyist woman who's so good at her job. But also, like, she just kind of crumbles in in the presence of the president because, yes, he is the most powerful man in the world. But they're so good together. Michael Douglas is uh, President Andrew Shepard. I don't really have a whole lot of experience with Michael Douglas. I think this might have been my first gateway into his movie. Same with Annette Bening for that, for mm-hmm. that fact. But I will forever know Michael Douglas as President Andrew Shepard. He's so vulnerable. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's a kind leader, in my opinion. Principled. Extremely principled, which is such a Sorkin thing. 
But he's also like just really goofy and he's kind of a dorky dad who is passionate about the constitution and is like bummed when his daughter is not as passionate about it. Yeah, I just I love these characters. I love them so much. There is like a interesting juxtaposition, which I think adds to the comedy here Mm -hmm. or or the comedy part of this rom-com, which is Annette Bening is super competent. But then on the other side of things, she kind of just like falls apart. Mm -hmm. Andrew Shepard, extremely competent um, in terms of getting elected and extremely principled. But also both of them are just oblivious about the workings of this relationship and the perception. And like, I, I feel like the, a lot of the comedy comes about because of um, the unawareness that the two of them have in different situations. Yeah, the unknowing how, like, the not knowing how to handle certain social situations, like walking down the steps for the state dinner and like, oh, like, do you date often? And, you know, that just a lot of the banter and exchange, I think, is what makes this movie a little bit more lighthearted. For sure. What else do you like about this movie? That's it. That's it? That's... What? I have such a long list, obviously. I mean, there's... Again, I come back to my original statement about mood. If you are in the mood to be uplifted and inspired and to grasp for something that is a different and better version of what we have today, this movie's great. I think that's... It's a conditional characteristic. You, You have to want what this movie has to offer. Otherwise, it well, actually... why? Why this movie in particular? Because it's such a contrast to today's world. Mm. If this was 1995 or even 2000 or, you know, something like the that. The Obama years? Whatever, one of those, like, the earlier periods over the last, how, what is 95, 20, 27 years, mm. right? Let's say it's 10 years after the movie. Yeah, you could still be inspired by it. Like, you watch The West Wing, you could still be inspired by it. But at this point... In 2022. In 2022, you watch this movie and you're like... Too much has happened. Too much has happened. It just doesn't... It doesn't pull you up in Mm. the same way. It's almost like it's so disconnected from where we are today that it makes you sad. And it makes you Mm. angry that maybe someone decided to make this movie 27 years ago and it hasn't brought through the change and inspiration that maybe was intended to. It's almost like we have not come very far at all. We've gone backwards. Yeah. You're right. You're saying correct things that I agree with. Uh, I guess I'm always in the mood to be uplifted. I think when you really do sit and think about it, of course, it's kind of, it's a bummer. You're like, we are still talking about climate change. We're talking about gun control. 27 years later with not much change that has happened between the time I think maybe one way to describe this movie is like almost weirdly nostalgic because you kind of long for a better and simpler time when the president, I don't know what his biggest problem is, is like an airline strike going to St. Louis during the holidays to make sure, you know, like all, it's like such small and trivial. It's quaint. It's quaint. It's quaint. It is. The problems of this administration are quaint. The, The political maneuvering that they have to go up against is quaint. And I think that's why it's all dependent on mood. If if you long for a better time or you long for a different time, then this movie will provide you that. If you are frustrated by what we have today and feel like we don't do enough, which mm-hmm. is another theme, and we just say things, then this movie can actually maybe get the blood boiling a little bit more. Mm-hmm. 
and that creates a different effect. So when I say like the spark between the net bending and Michael Douglas is like the only thing that I really like about it, it's because this time around at this time of watching find so much fault in the rest of the message and how it's been carried through to current day that the joy that I get is purely from the romantic part of the movie. Yeah, I think that's also just a Sorkin-ism, I guess. You know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about Sorkin a little bit later. One other thing that I like is the music. It's Academy Award nominated. I've been humming the theme song to this movie ever since we watched it, which was like two days ago. It's just so uplifting, orchestral. Legal. Yeah, it's so grand and dramatic in the best way possible. It's very West Wing-y mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. I mean, I get confused sometimes. And as soon as you start singing it, I somehow transition into Harry Potter. <laughs> but that's a me thing, not a you thing. Yeah, I, I mean, like, there's no pop music. There's no, like, recognizable hits from the soundtrack that I can tell you. But... It's incredibly appropriate. I feel like all you need is the instrumental background, and it was done really, really well. Let's talk Sorkin here, because as I mentioned, I'm a Sorkin fan. Yes, I've watched West Wing multiple times, uh, but I will say to your point about when you watch it and feeling certain ways, I think our first watch of West Wing was the Trump years. And I think we were watching it because we were so, I mean, not to get like super political, in, in this episode. But, you know, it was a bummer of a time for me. And I think I approached watching West Wing like, oh my gosh, this is really aspirational. It's bittersweet because this is not where we are. And I think that is a specialty of Sorkin. Like he did the newsroom with Jeff Daniels. Yeah. And it was when we watched the newsroom, I think it was when it was live, like they were coming out with episodes. Yes. So it was timely. Mm-hmm. I think watching Sorkin stuff in retrospect, it's different because it's not, it's maybe not evergreen content. It, it does age. Mm -hmm. So I'm just aware that uh, it can hit differently. At different sure. Times. Yeah. I think like this kind of movie, obviously with the messaging and if you are a Sorkin fan, you, you know where he leans politically. So you are probably of a certain type of person enjoying these movies. It's Highly, like, liberal fantasy, liberal elitist, it's all those things. So I understand it could be quite polarizing. But on this topic of things I like, Sorkin started with this movie and then did West Wing. So having had watched West Wing multiple times and having watched this movie multiple times, you can see there's a lot of redundancies and you're like, wow, this character shows up here. This person is totally that person in this show. The walk and talk. Oh, it's it's there. It hits you the second you turn this movie on. All the parodies in YouTube, <laughs> they're in this movie. It just felt really familiar. I think that's maybe why this movie to me is like a warm hug. Similar language even. The virtue of a proportional response is mentioned in both the movie and the show. You and I, we've talked a lot about competency. And this is a theme between West Wing and this movie is just that people are just so competent in their jobs. Yeah. And they like care about their jobs. Yeah. There was a, a former friend and coworker that I had who I think described this as competency porn. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you work with people who don't do their jobs and you watch this and you're like, oh, is that what effectiveness looks like? <laughs> Everyone works at the pleasure of the president. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part. Yeah. I mean, it's not actually mentioned in this movie, I don't think. Um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of casting overlap. Martin Sheen, obviously, who is the chief of staff in this movie, gets promoted to be President Bartlett in West Wing. Anna Devere Smith, who is too tall McCall. She is the press secretary in this movie. She becomes Nancy McNally of the NSA. Joshua Molina, David at the GDC. He's like one of Sydney's colleagues. He becomes Will Bailey, deputy communications director. And I cannot pronounce her name. The woman who plays Sydney's sister, Mm -hmm. Beth. She actually is one of President Bartlett's daughters in West Wing. Oh, really? The oldest? I think she's the middle. She's the scientist? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what about Leo McGarry? Leo McGarry is a different actor. It's Leo Solomon at the GDC. He's Uh played by the guy from Frasier. John Mahoney. Oh, you're right. They are different people. Okay, But I'm they sorry. just have the same name, Leo. Oh, I see. I know. Yeah, so even uh, Sorkin uses the same character names. Okay, so let's move on to some things you don't like. I, I have a feeling your list is a lot longer here. It's, it's not. It's the same oh. thing. The movie doesn't have a lot of things I don't like other than how it makes me feel. Okay. Like, it's a holier-than-thou set of characters. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't want... To be, to be talked to. down to? Exactly. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand. It's like everybody operates in this idealistic world that is not tied to realism. And it makes me angry that they believe they can fight Bob Rumson on equal footing. Mm. And that is a weird thing to be angry about. Because it's you're supposed to be uplifted by this notion of competing on the virtues of... of uh, character and like the presidency is all about character mm-hmm. it's obviously not mm. and that's what the last 27 years has effectively taught us and so when i watch this movie and i look at michael j fox's character lewis mm-hmm. and he's talking about all these things like oh i voted for you and it's like give it a rest lewis shut <laughs> shut the fuck up and i know he's like this guiding voice of principle I, they're all guiding voices of principle mm-hmm. And you watch that and you're just like, get your heads out of your asses. Like, you got, you have a problem. You have a Bob Rumson problem. Mm-hmm. Bob Rumson is going to win. Figure out a way to beat him. Mm. Mm-hmm. So this this is where my frustration is. Yeah, you sound movie. incredibly frustrated. <laughs> but, but every time Sidney Ellen Wade and Andrew Shepard get back in a room and banter and there's all this giggling and, like, all this naivete mm-hmm. it's fine i i'm happy again i'm rooting for them my heart melts mm. for this relationship but then when the the politics and the gdc and the crime bill and the 49 <laughs> votes and the what and the phone call like i don't care got it okay all right i will say though it i understand why it's polarizing it's it's definitely condescending at times it's very preachy which i think is ultimately the problem with a lot of Sorkin work. So you either love him or hate him, I think, for the most part. Maybe? This is also the man who wrote Moneyball, okay? Let's give this guy some credit, which is one of the best movies in the world. (laughs) I don't hate Aaron Sorkin. I don't even hate what he stands for. Mm -hmm. I just think when I watched this movie two days ago, this is how I felt. And that's all I can really... I mean, yeah. I think you know. we're putting a lot of weight into how you felt when you watched it. Oh, it I was know. a Friday night, I think, at like 10 p.m. You were yeah. probably tired. And I was like, we got to watch this. We got to make this happen. Yeah. I don't review things from an objective point of view. I come at this from an emotional gut feeling sort of thing. <laughs> sure. Because we all know you to be an emotional gut forward kind of guy. 100%. Um. So, yeah. For me, this list is short. 
there's not a whole lot I didn't like. Most of it is like the unbelievability factor of it all came a lot more into play now, watching it with a critical eye. It is frustrating that President Shepard is so naive, thinking he can do whatever he wants, casually date a woman and not have it impact his approval rating. Mm -hmm. Like that's just such a lack of understanding of the American people. And even his best friend and chief of staff, I don't remember. AJ. AJ. AJ doesn't force the correction. He lets him he lets him run with it. Mm. And to me, this is like a huge misstep that the chief of staff is responsible for ensuring doesn't happen. Right. And so he actually waits until that pool game to to really The second pool game. The second pool game where they they basically have a fight of mm-hmm. some sort. And it actually takes Lewis a couple scenes later. No, no, no. The Lewis conversation is before. Oh, it was before. Yeah. It shouldn't have taken that much to sway the president. Right. So I feel like everyone's just delinquent. In Yeah, I do think, though, we, we come to know President Shepard as incredibly competent. He is, as Lewis says, the man who has the most love for America or something like that. I forget the actual lines. But we know him to be incredibly measured and smart and competent. And he, during a conversation with Sydney, he's like, I don't have the the luxury of losing my patience with people mm-hmm. because he has to win re-election. So that's where his eye is on the ball. He's trying to, I think, assuage both sides of the aisle. And But that's also incompetency in my head. We think he's competent. He might be competent in the way that Jed Bartlett's competent. He's a professorial mm-hmm. sort of person. He knows constitutional law. He's very principled in terms of... Yes. Like, he loves the country. But is he good at getting elected? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like he was a brains behind getting elected the first time because he had to ask AJ, if my wife didn't die, would I have gotten elected? Yeah. He got the sympathy vote. He got the sympathy vote. I think that was, I think everyone else knew that. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was not thinking about it in those terms. Mm -hmm. So maybe he isn't actually competent about getting reelected. Sure. He is competent from do the right thing perspective, but maybe we shouldn't give him the the props for being a a smart political operative. Mm. Well, that's why you hire smart people around you. Yeah. This might be things of like under WTF, actually, or things that just haven't aged particularly well. But watching it now, it was slightly uncomfortable for me watching Sydney trying so many times to be like, hey, President Shepard, I'm not cool with this. I don't think we should continue this romantic relationship. You know, I have my professional reputation to consider. And Andrew, Andy, President Shepard... (laughs) is just like sweet talking her the entire time and he wins her over every time and i'm like oof it, it doesn't go down quite as well anymore but president shepherd is i guess just such a smooth talker and you know she they're equal in terms of intelligence they like each other for the intellectual stimulation sure i mean <laughs> i had a, i had a witty thing to say about a question that you you typically ask which is what are the general themes that this movie covers? And I was going to say, not conflict of interest, apparently, mm. because in addition to the power dynamic, which I don't even know how that works between people in government and lobbyists, mm-hmm. I feel like I work in, in, in corporations. There's definitely things that you're not supposed to be able to do. For sure. I feel like it, all of those things have been violated in some capacity, even though I don't know anything about <laughs> right. laws. Mm-hmm. But... Just the conflict of interest of a lobbyist and someone that 
has a relationship with the executive branch. Mm -hmm. It's it's like in a lot of places in financial institutions, your spouse can't do a certain thing. Yeah. If your job function, it's just like, like confidentiality yeah. reasons, right? Like this sort of situation is. I can't believe this is the premise of a movie, even in 1995. Mm. I don't know. I mean. Again, knowing nothing, you and I are not political operatives. We're not lobbyists. We don't know anybody who is well-connected in the DC world. It must happen, though. You know, like, you're constantly meeting people at functions, and there's a lot of, what's the term in the West Wing? Like, glad-handing or something like that, where you have to just shake a lot of people's hands. Like, there's just so much interaction. I'm sure sparks fly. Conflict of interest. I think if this were happening in the real world, Sydney Ellen Wade immediately steps quits away, job. quits her job. Yeah. Doesn't take other consulting gigs in lobbying. There's a scene at the holiday dinner where Sydney tells both AJ and Andrew Shepard about her interaction with the, the Motown 3. The Motown 3. And then after she leaves with AJ's wife, AJ and, and the president. She unknowingly gave inside information. Yeah, it's like there's a deal to be made. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't it's know. Just, we don't yeah. know. We don't know. But I, I just... It makes for good rom-com fodder. How about that? That's that's fine. I'm way too in the weeds on that nitpick. Themes, you mentioned it. Do you have any more themes to talk about here? Doing things versus talking about them. Tell I me more. This is this is a thing that happens in politics where you say one thing and then you do a very watered down version of that. I think it happens all too often, but that's how politics works. You campaign on a stronger version of something to get the right number of votes from the right types of people in your party. And then you move to a more centrist view and then you get like 10% of that done when you're actually in office. Uh -huh. And I know this is a very cynical view of what actually happens, but... I feel like there's a theme here where Andrew Shepard is, uh, he campaigns on the crime bill, but then he strips out the handguns and the automatic, mm -hmm. whatever. Much to Lewis's dismay. Exactly. And Lewis is like, ah, well, when other, what other time are you going to have to push something like this through when we have the votes? And he's like, I got to get reelected. So I think this is a constant theme that culminates in the end where he decides to push through Sydney's bill. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we'll scrap the crime bill and we'll, we'll, start. we'll start over. Exactly. So I like that theme. Um, I don't know if politics can be anything more than what it is, but sure. I think it's worth talking about. I'm glad that it's a topic that's included in the movie. Hmm. Another theme is about, it's the entire dialogue between Lewis when he gets really angry and decides to say a whole bunch of things to President Bartlett about... President, Genuine leadership. President Shepard. What did I say? <laughs> President Bartlett. Whatever. They're all the same. <laughs> so I'm going to quote the movie. Please. I'm going to quote Lewis. In the absence of genuine leadership, they'll listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. They want leadership. They're so thirsty for it, they'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage. And when they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. End of quote. And I think that's a true statement. Mm -hmm. Andrew Shepard counters that with something about people not knowing the difference. Mm -hmm. It's not a counterpoint to me, though. I think both statements are actually true. People do crave leadership, and people don't know the difference between this or that. I don't think the retort from, from the President Shepard 
negates anything that that Lewis said. Mm-hmm. But the the overarching theme that I'm pulling out of this is that politics is really difficult and messy. And ideally, in a very ideal situation, we need to rise above it. And the problem that I'm seeing with trying to rise above it is you you can't fight in the muck. Mm-hmm. And that means that you have to operate so far and above better than whoever it is that you're fighting with mm-hmm. that it puts you at a disadvantage because there's so many more tools available to a Bob Rumson that you can't use because you're taking like this idealistic high road. And yeah, there's a great speech that President Shepard made, which is the monologue at the end. Mm-hmm. I think Bob Rumson's still going to kick his ass because hmm. that speech only works with a certain percentage of the people. Everyone that Bob Rumson is going for, it's the sand. Like, people are going to drink the sand. We also have lived through the past eight years being as they were. So I think this is why your view is so cynical. Both things can be true. And I, I think we're getting a little too deep into the weeds of politics and perception. But that is one of the bigger themes of this movie. I honestly didn't write down a detailed list of themes. I just wrote being president is hard, LOL, because I'm watching this movie and it's just, yeah, it's so hard. Of course, things get watered down because you have to please everybody. You have to have compromise. You have to have negotiation for anything to even happen to get bills passed. Like you have to meet in the middle somehow. Otherwise, you have uprising and you just have no trust in your leaders. So doing the right thing isn't easy. It's hard. And being president is really hard. But I I do have a soft spot for Andrew Shepard, though. No. Yeah. He's he's someone that we would we would hope that we could act like Andrew Shepard Mm -hmm. if presented with the opportunity and the challenge. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I went on a huge tangent earlier. So I I mean, you know, that's what you got out of this movie. Um, I would be interested to see if how you would feel when you watch this movie in a good mood and not feel like you were condescended to. Yeah. Let's move on to favorite scene. I'm going to try to go in chronology here, but uh, the first for me is the moment when Andrew Shepard calls Sydney at her sister's apartment. Sydney just got off the phone with a colleague and thinks that Andrew Shepard is calling her as a prank call. Mm -hmm. The whole exchange is just really funny. Annette Bening's flustered reaction just makes me laugh. She's like, I don't know what to do with that great ass remark. And fast forward to when she accepts his invitation to go to the state dinner. She says like, you know, I'm honored. I won't let you down. I'm equal to the task. And he just says, you know, it's just dinner. We're not doing espionage. And it was a nice lighthearted moment. It was a good scene. (laughs) Basically, the scenes where they're together in the same room Mm -hmm. are good scenes. So I'll go next. Okay. I'm going to actually go backwards. Please. This is when they first meet. Mm. He come. He walks in behind her. Yes. He's like, can I see you for a second? <laughs> Go through this room. He doesn't call it the Oval Office. He calls the rec room. The rec room. And then she ends up in the Oval and she's looking around like, she's so are flustered. you fucking kidding me? Yes. And I just, I love that there's something about really competent people being humanized in, mm. in certain ways. It's like a humility thing, but it's also like a recognition that they're not yeah. impervious to anything, really. Yeah. They're still human. And I, I like that vulnerability yeah. that that scene started to expose about Sydney's character. And I don't know. I 
I really liked it. Yeah, the way that Annette Bedding plays that scene also is really great. Like, just, like, really small touches where she, like, tries to, like, fix her hair because she realizes, like, oh, I'm going to be in the room alone with the president in the Oval Office. I think she has, like, 30 seconds to kind of calibrate. But then also she thinks, like, he's intimidating her and she, just, like, walks out almost to the wrong room or out the wrong door. So in my in my head, I think Annette Bening is the MVP of of the movie mm. by by far because Andrew Shepard is a one note. Michael Douglas doesn't have to really change in in like every scene. He's just a confident person until he doesn't know how to order flowers, right? Right. So he's in every scene he's doing one thing, whereas Sidney Ellen Wade has to deal with a very complex cocktail of emotions in every scene mm. to the point where I think if you watch her facial emotion, um, reactions, yeah. I think it's on par with one of the greatest and most underrated performances that I've seen in the last 10 years. Oh my. Can you guess who I'm thinking about? Isla Fisher and definitely maybe. Close. <laughs> I don't know. Amy Adams and Arrival. Ooh. Spoiler alert. The concept of Arrival I'm giving away the entire plot here, is that Amy Adams' character can see the future, and she is able to live her entire life while still being able to see every moment of her future. That is like the gift of some alien language. Mm. Through all the flashbacks in the movie, you can see her face as she makes these painstaking trade-offs in her life, even though she knows certain things are going to happen in the future. I feel like there's a lot of... Acting. A, a lot of acting required. Yeah. Side note, Arrival, great movie. If you haven't seen it, it has nothing to do with rom-coms. But Amy Adams was not nominated for an Academy Award. That's bullshit. That was the biggest snub. I feel like, yeah, disrespect. Amy Adams deserved all the awards for that performance. And Annette Benning, to, to bring it back to yes. the American president, the nuance in her performance had to be this... She had to oscillate back and forth mm. between this person who needed to keep her composure. Right. But at the same time was like, ooh, the president is actually talking to me and is, you know, yeah. flirting. So I feel like she's she's definitely MVP. I agree with you. I think Annette Benning is MVP. And this is one thing I forgot to mention at the top of this is that I would describe her character as luminous. And I'm taking this word from Roger Ebert. I read his review from 1995, and both both he and Siskel, Siskel and Ebert both loved this movie. They gave this four stars, and they called this one of the best movies of the year. Wow. What were the other movies that year? I don't remember. It's not important. You know, it just, it, it affirms my, my stance on this movie as well. But that's the word I think I would describe Annette Bening, and that is not my word. You mentioned like the small moments where President Shepard and Sidney Ellen Wade are together. One of my favorite scenes is the morning after they sleep together. It's 5 a.m. The president's so casual. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, Lewis is, you know who he is? And she's like, yeah, boy, like, wouldn't he go nuts if he knew I was here? And he's like, yeah, he's on his way up. And then everyone, every member of senior staff just casually walks in. And is like, good morning, Sydney. Good morning, president. And she's just like, well, thank you for going over those fossil fuel numbers with me at 5 a.m. Just, you know, another lighthearted moment that I I still think is really funny. I chuckle whenever I think about it. Another comical moment that I love is the president trying to order flowers, as you mentioned. That whole bit, like, what's the state flower of Virginia? And then she, Sydney ends up getting a Virginia ham. It's just, you know, another cute moment. 
And then Lewis, Michael J. Fox's character in the limo, says, no hopping, sir. The lighthearted scenes are a great hit for me. You're right. They, they're nice. <laughs> they're nice. <laughs> and then the obvious two moments, I think, is Lewis's speech, as you've already mentioned. I kind of wish you had delivered that speech with more gravitas, but I'll let it slide. There is a reason I'm not in Hollywood. <laughs> Props to Lewis for standing up to the president in that moment. It's such a good monologue, and it really kind of makes President Shepard see a little bit clearer, realizing that he's got to do something. Otherwise, his approval rating is going to continue to go down. And then the final last scene for me is Andrew Shepard's speech at the end. Gives me chills. He comes out, guns blazing. He's ready to challenge Bob Rumson, who is played by Richard Dreyfus, who we didn't mention, I don't think. And the line that I randomly will say out of nowhere is, my name is Andrew Shepard, and I am the president. It's a great speech. It's a great monologue, and he delivers it without any prop. Like We've got serious problems, <laughs> and we need serious people. And if you want to talk about character, Bob, you'd better come at me with more than a burning flag and a membership card. If you want to talk about character and American values, fine. Just tell me where and when, and I'll show up. This is a time for serious people, Bob, and your 15 minutes are up. My name is Andrew Shepard, and I am the president. I just want everyone to know that Michelle stuck her finger up in the air as she said that. <laughs> I mean, it really galvanizes me in a weird way. It's impossible not to be moved by that speech, even if you're in a cynical mood. You're like, wow, I follow that. Yeah. If someone decided to give that speech, yeah, that followed me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, this is what Sorkin <laughs> does. So, Yeah, Sorkin is known for the great uh, monologue. Any more moments for you here? Uh, those are the same two big, mo like those two monologues. These two moments are the biggest moments outside of the actual romantic relationship. And, and they're really important. Yeah. They carry the philosophical uh, underpinnings of the entire movie. Mm -hmm. And they're done in such a well-acted, well-written way, well-directed. five stars all yeah. around. Five stars. Uh, on more of an inside joke, I don't know DC well, where this movie takes place, obviously, but Sydney always has problems um, navigating DuPont Circle. And you and I went to DC recently, and I think I was driving, and I told you, like, oh, I hope we don't have to go through DuPont Circle, because, you know, this is my only touch point of DC geography, is that Sydney Ellen Wade hates driving through DuPont Circle. When I hear about DC, I think about traffic, and then DuPont Circle, and that's my connection. WTF moments. Hit me. Can you campaign from the White House? I feel like you're not supposed to go up into the White House press room and, like, talk shit about your opponent in the election. Hmm. Like, the president doesn't do that, right? Like, I, I don't know the rules of campaign management. I have not thought about it. I didn't even... Uh, I'll be honest with you. I wrote zero things under this category. <laughs> okay. Here's here's maybe a, a more plot-driven thing as opposed to a nitpick. Okay. Sydney Ellen Wade comes to visit the president and want, is going to break it off. Mm -hmm. And Andy is like, you're nervous. Let me pour us a drink. <laughs> no, your problem is with sex and nervousness. Right. He's totally mansplaining right now. Yep. And so Cindy Ellen Wade is going to go change and presumably continue to come argue his point. <laughs> so she had come to the White House to break it off. Then he mansplains to her. Then she takes off all of her clothes, puts on one of his shirts, 
and then starts like seducing him seducing him and then he's like hold on wait a second pump the brakes you know i don't think i explained the slowdown plan exactly that's a great moment great quote and then they they go and they they do things they have relations and i was like what just happened like what did he say Mm. that changed her mind from what she was trying to do to what she eventually did because there was nothing in what he said there was a very big leap i think and i'm not I, i don't have the answer for you i do think you're right. This moment is very WTF. She comes in to break it off and then ends up sleeping with him. Uh, I think it's just a testament of how much she actually like really likes him and maybe is like already in love with him. Maybe it's just kind of like this weird push and pull thing again that I like between them, this chemistry that they have. They kind of just like can't resist each other, even though they're not supposed to be together. It's They, they know it's not the right thing to do. Maybe I was reading into the scene wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should have thought about it as Maybe she came to the White House with like a 10% intention of breaking it off and like a 90% intention and all that was required to flip from what she originally intended to do. So she's playing hard to get? No, it's just like a do. Maybe she had like two goals in her, like one goal in her subconscious and then one goal of like surface level, oh, I'm going to break it off. But as soon as he says anything contrary, he's like, oh, I don't know. As a person, <laughs> as a person... That has not been in this situation. Uh huh. I just feel like it's a WTF moment, but maybe it's much less of a WTF mm. moment than I think it is. Because I, I don't think I have like complex patterns of thought. I just have like one thing, and mm. then it's very black and white. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about Lucy for a second, Who's the daughter Lucy? of the president. Oh yeah, she's way too perfect. She's very well adjusted. Mom died only three years ago. So the other Sorkin thing that he does a lot in his material is that he. It's a lot about fathers and daughters. Um, it's very evident in the West Wing. President Bartlett has three daughters. And so I think this is kind of the the preamble to mm. that kind of relationship. Hmm. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, but she's too perfect. She so well adjusted. She opens her arms and heart to Sydney so quickly. I don't know how old she's supposed to be. I think like 11, 12. Also, the actress who plays her is Shauna Waldron. Who's that? She's in Little Giants. She plays the oh, icebox. Ice <laughs> when did when did Little Giants come out? Little Giants came out in 1994. So oh, a year, year before. This came out in 95. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. It feels weird to describe her as precocious because when I say when I think precocious, I'm thinking even a younger age. Mm-hmm. But this 11 year old or 12 year old or whatever she is, mm. she has the emotional maturity of an adult. Yeah. Of like not even an adult like me, like mm. a much more mature adult. I will. <laughs> I will say, though, if you're the child of a president and a public figure in politics, I think that is a different breed of child. I think you are used to the spotlight. I mean, a lot of my context is West Wing, again. But, like, they don't know anything else. Assuming that President Shepard was maybe governor of Wisconsin beforehand or mayor of something, you know, like, or a congressman of something, Lucy is used to dad campaigning, being in politics, being in the public eye. So her adjustment to him being president, fine. But my problem or my WTF is that she doesn't miss mom. There's no conversations Mm -hmm. about mom really all that much. President Shepard's like, is it okay with you that I'm seeing this woman? And she's like, yeah, totally cool. Go get it. Tell her she has nice shoes. I'm going to nitpick a little bit on (laughs) on that that scene where the president goes to visit her while she's practicing the trombone. Mm -hmm. And you can hear the notes that she's playing. 
right? The scales. It's, it's like, bah, bah, bah. she's not virtuosoing. Mm-hmm. But then as he's exiting, he's like, bah, 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 bah. like, uh, yeah, hail to the chief. Yeah. And I'm like, why is she playing those scales so poorly if she can play that song at the end so flawlessly? I'm sure there are uh, some musicians who practice their scales and then bust out some, I don't know, major composition. That's fair. It's not a WTF moment. It's definitely more of a nitpick. What else you got? Since I clearly don't have anything else written here. These aren't WTF moments. These are just more like everything that makes the president endearing Mm -hmm. is just so ridiculously unbelievable. Like if you somehow became the president, you know not to try to order flowers yourself. (laughs) You know not to get out of the limousine. To go to Carmen's house of flowers. Exactly. Like this is a person, and you, you mentioned it earlier, like he's highly competent. All the things that make him endearing in this movie are things that show that he's out of touch with the the power of his office. So He's human, Frank. I, we I, talked about this. I, I understand what the movie was trying to do and what it was successful in doing and humanizing him. But if you think about this more generally, it's... Are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. It's, um, it's okay. Minor nitpicks. All right. Do you have anything else here? Nope. All right. Let's move on to the ending. What are your thoughts here? I think Sydney has to change her career. Mm. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, she has no job right now. Well, she can't continue being a lobbyist. Is what I'm. Well, she was thinking. fired from her job, so she was going to go work on a campaign in Connecticut or something. But they reconcile, and yeah, I don't know where her career is going to go from here. Yeah, I feel like they're going to have to talk about that. Do they make it? Sure. Hmm. I want to say I believe they do. I want them to last and stay together and be together. Don't know what that looks like. What is her career going to be? Presumably, I was going to ask you this question, like, do you think President Shepard wins re-election? In the version of the movie, yeah, that speech sure. causes a re-election win. Yes, but... so he he becomes president again. Mm-hmm. Sidney Ellen Wade, does she become first lady? So th- that that's like a whole different role, you know, I... She can't work as a lobbyist, I presume, if you're first lady. Anyway, yeah, lots of questions. I do like how this movie ties it all up in a bow, though. She finally gets her roses because, wink, wink, the president has a rose garden. And he's, President Shepard walks in to deliver the State of the Union. So everything is tied up really well. Yeah, it was a good ending. Great ending. Do you think this movie is a beloved rom-com? No. Tell me more. I think it is... A nice romantic dramedy. I don't think of it as a traditional rom-com, at least not in... There's not a lot of hijinks and like... Yeah. Is it beloved? I I don't feel like it mm. It resonates with that many people. Like the just the, the setting. Kind of boring, right? Yeah, yeah it's... it's like <laughs> political intrigue to some degree. Yeah. So I feel like as a... There might be a subset of people like yourself who... Mm-hmm. who gravitate toward like a Sorkin thing Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's beloved by that many right I agree with you I think it's really strange that I have a soft spot for this movie and I don't think I've ever talked to anybody like in passing just like oh what are your favorite rom-coms the American president never comes up you know I think it's beloved within a certain group and specific people to everything that we've talked about before and I I kind of wish this were a more talked about rom-com, but I understand why it's not. Do you think this movie's aged well? No. 
<laughs> for all the reasons that I've, <laughs> I've spent talking the last hour. Anything specifically, though? Like, I think it's aged well in many ways. Well, why don't you tell me how it's aged well? I, I think the chemistry has aged well. I think the chemistry is timeless. Okay. But I think the romance born out of a, of a, a weird power dynamic, mm. it doesn't age well in today's climate. Mm-hmm. I think the overall plot and the it's just unbelievable it's unbelievable at this point it's less believable and it doesn't have the effect sure that it was i'll agree with you on that it is unbelievable uh i do think it's aged well in terms of like maybe the material that it talks about like gun control climate like again i think we're saying the same things but maybe differently yes i agree that the topics that we're fighting over as a country they're still the same topics which is probably unfortunate (laughs) you know um, but yeah, I agree with you. There are a lot of unbelievable moments because it's too idealistic. It's too naive. It it's... turns into, un- what is the word? Insufferable at mm, times. Okay. Yeah, like a movie like this doesn't get made today. Like there's no possible way in 2022 for a story about a single president who's casually dating, especially in the world of social media and this world of like media, tabloid, frenzy, Everyone has an online digital footprint. There's a whole scene where there's a photo. Bob Rumson's staff finds a photo of Sidney Ellen Wade at a flag burning protest. Yeah. Twitter would be all over. Oh my gosh. No, like this does not happen. (laughs) I just, I'm laughing trying to picture it happening, but it could just never happen. If anyone from Hollywood is listening to this, (laughs) I would challenge you to try to make a remake and get it. Make it relevant? Yeah. Wow. That would be, I think that's like an insurmountable task. Politics isn't funny. It's not warm-hearted anymore. Do you know? Like, it's not... It's it's a hard subject matter, I think, to make good. And that's why I think this movie is really unique. That's fair. Um, And this is a topic I always talk about is the diversity in this movie. And I think that because this movie is so left-leaning, you know, also taken into consideration this movie was made in 1995. Yeah, there's a decent amount of diversity. There is? Robin McCall is black. Mm Mm-hmm. And I take special note of, like, watching the extras. There's some people of color at the GDC. There are people of color in terms of the White House press corps. And they're speaking parts. One of the assistants at the GDC is Asian American. So I I really appreciate those moments, especially if you're going to be talking about Democrats. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have a number of points and trivia here. President Bill Clinton and his staff granted permission for the cast and production design team to visit the White House multiple occasions. Robert Redford co-produced this film. Oh. He was originally cast in the lead role, but was replaced with Michael Douglas. He had a falling out with Rob Reiner, the director. There's a whole scene with Camp David. We talked offline about this, but Camp David is off limits to the public and media. So there's not actual, there's no photos to show what Camp David actually looks like. So the set was actually taken from personal pictures from the Nixon era and a lot of imagination. Hmm. The Oval Office set was originally constructed for the movie Dave, the Kevin Klein movie. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. And used for West Wing. And Anna Devere Smith, who plays Robin McCall, appeared in all three of those productions. Huh. This is one of the few rare PG-13 movies allowed to keep its PG-13 rating uh, despite the use of the word fuck three times. I was actually surprised that they used the word so many times. I remember the pool scene. The All within 15 pool. minutes. Yeah, they're not. none of them are used in a sexual context. Mm-hmm. Two other things here, in terms of 
casting. At one point, Emma Thompson was in talks for the role of Sydney, as was Jessica Lange, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Susan Sarandon. And finally, Aaron Sorkin plays Aid Inbar in one of the montages. He's talking to Lewis about trying to get votes. Oh, I didn't notice him. But that wraps it up in terms of trivia. Let's wrap this up. Um, last thoughts? Last takes? It's really weird seeing Martin Sheen without white hair. <laughs> now that we just finished watching Grace and Frankie. Like, yeah. that is that is my version of Martin Sheen now. It's yeah. not the West Wing version. It's, what's his name in Grace and Frankie? Robert. Robert yeah, Hansen. It's, it's Robert singing uh, The Music Man. Yeah. Great show. If you, I mean, I've talked about Grace and Frankie a few times on this podcast now, but... Yeah, I agree with you. It was kind of jarring to see Martin Sheen with not gray hair and the much slimmer physique. I was like, oh, whoa. This was his audition to be President Bartlett. But even by Bartlett years, he's kind of graying, I feel. Yeah, I mean, 27 years does a lot. Yeah. Um, For me, this movie still makes me feel warm and optimistic. And I understand everything that you said. But I choose to suppress all my frustrations because I think... Maybe I'm idealistic as well. Maybe there is a world where we can all coexist happily and our biggest problem is an airline strike during Christmas. I don't know. I think it's a a really good rewatch. If you haven't rewatched this movie recently, I encourage you to do so. I don't think it's streaming anywhere right now, but... Find the DVD. Rent it on Amazon. Get the DVD. This movie holds up for me and rewatching it kind of further solidified my love for it. So thank you, Frank, for going on this For you, frustrating journey, but for me, it was a nice revisit. I enjoyed all the things that I said I enjoyed, and I'm really glad that there are people like you out there that find this continually uplifting and inspiring because, quite frankly, I think those are the people that we need in public service. There's a reason why I can't deal with this Mm. on a day-to-day basis. But we there would are people, be really bad politicians. Both yeah, of us. as public servants, we, we can't do this. No. We, we do not have the uh, emotional fortitude to beat our heads against the wall day after day in order to make the world just a little bit better for everyone living in it. Mm-hmm. But for all the people who do find solace in a message like this, I, I don't want to denigrate any of those emotions. We need those types of people to mm-hmm. make this world better. I'm just living in it, <laughs> and I will continue to vote those feelings. But, you know, I, I'm only just saying what I feel and watching the movie. What's the next election year? 2024? Asking the wrong person. President Shepard for 2024. Let's, let's find this Wisconsin <laughs> professor. Well, thank you, Frank. To all tuning in, thank you so much for listening to another season of Romcom Weekly. Please follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. And give us a follow on Instagram at Romcom Weekly. And let us know what you think of The American President. What would you rate this on a scale from 1 to 10? And we'll chat with you all very soon. Take care. Bye.